Welcome to another week of Necronomenon. We're your hosts, Jenna and Matt. I would like to start this episode off by apologizing for my voice or lack of voice. <laughs> uh, I kind of lost it completely, and this is the first time that I've actually had it back enough to talk. Mm-hmm. No, you sound fine. Um, I also think we owe you guys an explanation. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we decided because the episodes were actually getting a lot longer than we originally intended and kind of more in depth. And we were enjoying that. We decided rather than, than sacrifice that because we're having trouble fitting in a lot of the research and stuff that we wanted to do because we have, you know, day jobs and other stuff that we do. And, but we wanted to make sure we did a good job of this. So we've decided instead of doing fortnightly, we'll switch to monthly episodes of this um, just so that we have more time to do better research and we can continue to do kind of longer, uh, more in-depth episodes. Yeah, this means we can actually read full books and, you know, just put a lot more effort into it than Mm -hmm. we were able to do before. It might go back to fortnightly at some point, depending on, you know, how we're doing with time and- Scheduling. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can get ahead of ourselves with this podcast. Yeah. But for the moment, we're going to stick to monthly. Um, Please give us some feedback. If there's anything you'd like to see more of, mm-hmm. um, if you think we're not doing quite enough for it to be monthly, please let <laughs> us know. Yeah, originally I think we were, we were going to do just film reviews, just short horror film reviews, but then we kind of found our way into what we're doing now. We were enjoying it, so yeah, I think it's a lot more interesting to get the background of the film, and I'm actually having a lot more fun than just watching a film and talking about it. Yeah, I agree. Like I'm I'm gaining a lot of knowledge through this, and that's mm. cool. Yeah, so, yeah, please write in. Let us know what you think. Necronomenom at multiplenergasm.com or hit us up on social media. Uh, If you go to multiplenergasm.com, you can find all of our details. So this episode, um, we watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Mm -hmm. one from 1974. Mm -hmm. And we want to talk about uh, the murders that inspired that film. Mm -hmm. And that would be the killer Ed Gein. Yeah. He's very, very famous, very influential killer. Very, very influential. Yeah, one of the most influential because he was so unique, I think. Um, we read the book, or I fully read the book. I think Matt, <laughs> Matt started the book uh, Deviant mm-hmm. by Harold Schechter. He actually refers to Gein as the godfather of slasher cinema. Yeah. Um, because so many movies were inspired by him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one we're talking about today is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was written by Kim Henkel. And Tobe Hooper, who also directed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he also directed, like, a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Um, most to- notably, Poltergeist and Salem's Lot, the Stephen King. Yeah, I think uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and and Poltergeist are his most famous films. And he, like, they were really good films. But then he went on to do, like, some really bad movies. Yeah, I mean, he's still going. Oh, yeah, no, I know. He makes a lot of B-grade movies yeah. these days. Yeah. And he did uh, an episode of... He Masters did some of Tales Horror. of the Tales of the Crypt. Yeah, yeah, he, he's very well known. It's just I don't know his stuff's really hit and miss. But like I, I, yeah. this Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously hugely influential. Which episode of Masters of Horror did he do? Uh, he did Dance of the Dead, which is the one that stars Robert Englund. I like that one. Yeah. I mean, I like the story that was based on that was a um, God Matheson, what? Richard Matheson. Yeah, yeah. He yes. wrote uh, the Will Smith book. <laughs> You're gonna have to apologize. You're gonna have to forgive me for my coughing. Yeah. In this, because we're using one microphone, it's going to be impossible to edit out. 
<laughs> but, we'll work around it. He wrote. He did. He um. I the last man or whatever it's called. <laughs> What's it called? I legend. I am legend. I am legend. Yeah. Wow, we're great at this. I love that book too. Yeah. Well, this is a thread that I hadn't picked up on while we were researching. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to Texas Chainsaw. Yes. Um, it was actually composed by him as well. Yeah. Toe Pooper. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's no music in mm. in it, aside from songs that they paid for the rights to. Right. Uh, there's no actual music. Like, there's no composition in it. They just wanted to use sounds that an animal would hear. Right. At an abattoir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, I know that I know that it was all weird noises. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I guess they wanted the viewer to feel like they were in that situation. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, certainly traumatic. Um, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it stars a bunch of people. I, I mean, um, the the main star, uh, well, the, the main character Sally, is played by Marilyn Burns. She went on to do a bunch of a lot of slasher. Yeah. A, a- Actually, I want to talk about her. Mm-hmm. I reading more about her after this film. Mm. She's terrific. This was yeah. her first film. This mm. is the first film she acted in, mm-hmm. and almost every scene, like she put her all in. Yeah. So she actually suffered from a lot of the injuries shown on screen, right? Because they wanted the effects to be real. So when she's running through the woods, those scratches and cuts she's getting are real. All that blood is hers, right? And then there is one scene where, um. Leatherface cuts her finger. Yes, and, I know about this. And it yeah. bleeds, and they couldn't get the fake blood to work. Mm. So she just kind of moved in without him knowing that she was doing that. Moved in mm. closer to the the weapon so that her finger actually got cut. Yeah, right. And that was her real blood. She also suffered a fall through a window. Jesus. Uh, yeah, she really. Like, well, she dives she, that one at one point. Is that yeah, what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. right. Yeah, well, and that, and she spends like the second half of the film just screaming constantly. Right. I remember the first time that I watched this, like by about, I don't know, three quarters of the way in, I was like, "Good lord!" Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, she really irritated me in the film yeah. up until I read all that about her, mm. and I, I think that's terrific. That's yeah, like, her like, performance in this is is intense. Yeah, yeah, and really, she's the only one. I mean. Everyone else. There are a lot of different characters. Do you want to read through the rest of the cast? Yeah. So, uh, Alan Danziger plays uh, one of the friends. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I don't think they get named in it. Uh, d- I think they're kind of interchangeable. Yeah, that's right. Um, Paul A. Partain plays Franklin, who is, uh, the guy in the wheelchair. Yeah. So he's, he's disabled, but I'm not quite sure exactly what is supposed to be wrong with him. I don't. I don't know that it matters. I think, mm. I mean, he's mentally coherent enough. Yeah. I think he just has a disability that makes it so that the party has to split up. Right. They just, they describe him as learning disabled in the plot summaries, but I don't think that I he was. That I he felt is. like he just, you know, he was like a, you know, paraplegic or yeah. something. Yeah. William Vahl, uh also played a friend. Uh, Edwin Neal, who played the hitchhiker. He's uh, that is crazy. <laughs> he's he said crazy. he played it like a crazy nephew he has. All right. Okay. Yeah, well, he, he's, uh, his performance is pretty great in yeah. this. Uh, Jim Sadow plays the gas station guy. Uh, uh, he's really creepy. He does a really good job of looking fairly normal sometimes and then, like, becoming a crazed redneck at the mm-hmm, end. Like, mm-hmm. he looks like- He looks like he's on your side and that he will be helpful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but he actually looks like- He looks fairly normal and then he 
then I don't know. He does, he does something with his eyes where he actually just looks like there's something very wrong with him. Like, right. It's, it's yeah, it's a good performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Gunnar Hansen plays uh, Leatherface, who is the what a name, <laughs> who's the very famous, uh, probably the most famous character from from these films. Yeah. So he's like, he's like the Jason, right? Or the Michael. He's the face of Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Although I mean. He's not necessarily necessarily the main antagonist. They all are. It's just that he's That's right. very he's, memorable. He is. And um he was let to uh Tobe Hooper actually let him hmm. kind of play it how he wanted to play it. Right. And they thought that like not giving him a face and not making him really human hmm. by having a mask on the whole time is scarier. Right. And it was supposed to be kind of like the monster in us all yeah. rather than a specific man. Right. Because he is the one who is kind of based on Ed Gein. Like, yeah, the, he's the direct. The specifics line of to his that. behavior. Yeah, I exactly. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, Gunnar Hansen decided, he, he kind of came up with his own backstory mm-hmm. uh, and he decided that he was, uh, he was intellectually disabled and had gone to a special school, didn't know how to interact with people very well. And so his mannerisms were based on his experiences studying people in those situations. That's right. Hmm. So, why don't we go over the plot summary? Right. I don't think we've done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> the film opens with uh, a news report or kind of a narration mm-hmm. um, that discusses the fact that bodies are being dug up uh, in cemeteries in, in Texas. Mm-hmm. And as that plays out, you see a, a corpse kind of been displayed on, a, on top of a kind of tombstone in a cemetery mm-hmm. in a fairly graphic manner. And then we learn that the kids- Teenagers, I mean. Teenagers, sorry, yeah. We learned that the teenagers have have headed down to Texas because uh, Sally's grandfather is buried at a cemetery that has apparently been victimized by by whoever's doing this. That's like a- that's a big road trip just for that. I mean, first Mm. of all, how many people are buried in that cemetery that she thought, one, maybe grandpa is in trouble? Yeah. And two, like, wouldn't they release the names? I don't know. It's- it's kind of a- yeah, well, I mean, it was the seventies, and that's true. So that it's not like they had the you know the internet; you couldn't, right. couldn't you just, can look just look up the details. And also, I mean, that's a fairly interesting road trip. It is, yeah, I guess. Uh, and I mean, they did have a farmhouse down there. Yeah, they that- seen, they made an event out of it. So right. they, they they after they checked the cemetery, they head on to the old house where I guess they they spent time. There. I don't know if they grew up there. Uh, they. It sounds like they they either did or they frequented there. Yeah, yeah, because they have rooms mm-hmm. and things that they. have kind of familiar with in there. But the house is totally run down now. Right. Like, it's unlivable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's completely decrepit, yeah. I'm not sure they knew that on the way there, but- Right. Yeah, it seems like they intended to stay there. <laughs> yeah, there's no generator. There's- Right. Like, the pool has dried up. Everything's mm-hmm. everything's done. Like, and um, Franklin, the mm-hmm. one in the wheelchair, isn't even able to get around the house. Right, because he's the stairs and things. Right. And, and it's all fallen apart. That's right. Yeah. But on their way to the house from the cemetery, they encounter the hitchhiker mm-hmm. uh, who proceeds to creep them out That's by right. taking their photo and behaving in a really strange manner. I mean, and that doesn't saying that he took their photo doesn't adequately describe his behavior. Like, taking their knife and cutting himself. It's, yeah, he does. It's a, very strange. His, his performance is very creepy. Yep. Like, he does a very good job of, of like, I, I believe, like, it was a very believable scene, like, yep. that they picked this guy up and he was just a nutbag. Like, mm. yeah, it's a very good performance. Uh, I think it's uh, difficult to play somebody who is crazy in a film. Right. I think, like, you get it right 
or it can just be really, really awkward and, yeah, and or you- cringy. Yep. Yeah, whereas I think everybody in this did a really good job. So they stop for some gas uh, and meet the gas station guy as well, uh, who tells them they don't have any. <laughs> um, and so they're forced to continue on without. Um, and then when they get to the house and realize they can't stay there, they then have to try and find some because right. they, they need to get get out of there. Which is when, one by one, mm-hmm. they run into Leatherface. Yeah, so they head over to a nearby house that they fu- that they spot, uh, which seems to have a generator running, and they figure generator equals gas. Yeah. Uh, so they head on over, and yeah, slowly get picked off one by one. <laughs> and that's basically the plot. Yeah. This movie, it didn't do too well when it first came out. No. A lot of test audiences <laughs> left. Uh, this was kind of one of the earliest slasher films, mm. so people weren't really used to that. Right. And they especially weren't used to seeing just common household items being used as weapons. Right. So most of the time it would be like guns or or knives, not things that you would see lying around. Right. You know, your dad's shed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked at the time about how gruesome and, and, and you know, gory and disturbing it was. It's actually not very gory it's at all. It's not. And Intentionally use, so. That's right. They didn't use, I think out of like- all movies, it's all slasher films. It's the least amount of blood that's yeah. used. I think the thing that makes it so traumatic is the performances. Yep. Like these three guys, well, and, and Grandpa, who shows up later, yeah. are just so disturbing. And her performance is so- Sally's. Yeah. Sally's performance is so like- like she seems like she's genuinely traumatized. That's right. And, and it actually, like you said, it, it gets a bit annoying, but it's also kind of- it's like, yeah, oh, like man, what, what this else like, would you do in that situation? Yeah, it's it's very yep. draining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the film is very draining. Mm-hmm. And so I can see why people were were, were terrified of it. And and the whole idea of it is is terrifying. It's like the same, I mean we'll talk about more about Ed Gein, but it's kind of like like the, the idea of that happening is is scary. Yeah, because it's kind of it's kind of like it can happen to anyone. Right. Like they're crazy people and you would never know and you can run into them and you don't yes. know where you're gonna yeah, because it's not like this is these aren't monsters in the traditional sense. These are right. just these other are common people. Th- yeah, these are other people that live like in the town with you and and they behave this way. So it's it's and uh, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses and all those other films. Yeah, there are a lot of films that kind of mirror this. No, honestly, I think House of a Thousand Corpses does this film better than it does itself. Yeah, it's well I th- I know that's like I know a lot of people don't like a house of a house of a thousand corpses. I love that film. <laughs> I agree with you. I think what House of a Thousand Corpses does is take the, like at the time this film was very uh groundbreaking and, right. and edgy. And I think for that reason, like we, we're critical of it now because like because said, we've, we've got, seen so much work. House of a Thousand kind of Corpses jaded. and these other films. Yeah. And then actually, um well, I'm sure we'll talk about this as well. But I mean this builds on from Psycho and yes. and 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 those earlier films. So uh, I think they're all kind of like stepping stones to where we mm-hmm. are today with like, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses and, and things like that, where kind of the extreme stuff is is kind of more widely seen. Right. Whereas in this, it was not like. Right. This was actually the first time I'd seen this film. Mm. And I can see why it was so revolutionary and so provocative at the time. Right. But now it, it's it's not. It was actually a little boring. Right. I think it's similar to films like The Exorcist, where I watch The Exorcist now, and I think it's great, but it yeah. doesn't. But it's not very scary to me right. because I've seen you know like 
even, you know, films about possession that are right. scarier. It's like, say, The Conjuring 2, right? I think The Exorcist and Conjuring 2 are kind of, Conjuring 2 would be a descendant of mm-hmm. that, but yeah. Well, um, according to Vera Dyka, uh, who is an expert in cinema studies, uh, she says in her book, Games of Terror, Halloween, Friday the 13th, and the Films of the Stalker Cycle. That's the name of the book, mm-hmm. which I think we should read. Yeah. Um, it does sound quite good. It sounds like, you know, it goes along with this podcast quite well. She says that all slasher films adhere to the following formula in one way or another. The plot of a slasher is always influenced by a past event in which the film's community, often teenage characters, commits a wrongful action or the killer experiences some sort of severe trauma. The present-day plot typically involves the opposing objectives of both a killer and a hero heroine. They often begin with a commemoration of this important past event, an anniversary that somehow reactivates or re-inspires the killer. Mm-hmm. Often, the victim in a slasher film survives, but is maimed somehow by their experience with the film's killer. Right. And she believes that the genre's appeal is rooted in the audience's feeling of catharsis, mm-hmm. uh, recreation, and displacement, which is related to sexual pleasure. If you if you think about, we've already talked about Scream, but Scream, like that, that, it, it that description, exactly. yeah, right. that describes the film Scream. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, intentionally. And I mean, a lot of slashers that, yeah. like, almost any that you can think of. Right. Yeah, and then this this as well sort of I mean this the anniversary thing I guess the the it's the the digging up of the corpses and that kind of thing but hmm. yeah I mean it does follow and and then she does survive at the end and is definitely right. traumatized that's and right. maimed I think House of a Thousand Corpses is the only one that deviates slightly from that right. but it I mean it's it is very very close yeah um, oh I'm sure there are other you know there are other definitely a lot that I can and, oh yeah mm. there are a lot that I can just think of like. Yeah. Off the top of my head. And some of them, I think we should talk about at some point. They're quite good films. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at that list. Halloween, Friday the 13th. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm into into all of those. That's right. Well, maybe not some of the later ones, but the initial films in those series. <laughs> well, this film itself, Texas Chainsaw, actually spawned like four or five sequels. Yeah. Um, Gunnar Hansen was actually a made a cameo in the 3D version. Right. Yeah. They did a remake of it. Recently, with yeah. Jessica Biel, your favorite actress, <laughs> and uh, Hollywood, why do you keep putting her in things? Well, they don't anymore. Hollywood, <laughs> why did you keep putting her in? Things? Please go back and digitally remove her from everything. <laughs> yeah. So at the time, they said that this was a true story, and I, I remember reading about Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a kid. Like, as a kid, I was interested in horror movies, but mm-hmm. I wasn't really allowed to watch them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I would buy magazines. That talked about them a lot, and I do remember, in particular, Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, being marketed as a as a true story, and in particular based on the story of Ed Gein. That's right. That is kind of false. I mean, right. It does take a lot of liberties with the story of Ed Gein. Right. It kind of takes uh, just a couple of of influences. Yeah. And that would be. Uh, Leatherface. I mean, we'll talk more about this later when we talk about Ed Gein. Yeah. But that would be the character of Leatherface, the grave robbings. Yes. Just incidentally, did you know that the word ghoul is the term for someone who robs graves? Oh, okay. I did not. Yeah. yeah. So this film had a very small budget. Yeah. Uh, the writer and director kind of early days Kickstarter. <laughs> like, yeah, pulled they, in. They, yeah, they pulled. They got some friends to help out. Mm-hmm. Um, total, it was made for under $300,000. They actually had a budget of only 60000 but right. it ended up costing them a bit more. Yeah, I think little 
Well, I mean, even these days, if you make a little film by yourself, self-funded, it yeah. kind of balloons out into, I, I bet they don't even know how much it cost. Well, it was supposed <laughs> to only be two weeks of filming, right. but it ended up being four. Yeah. Yeah, well, that happens too. <laughs> I, that's pretty quick. Yeah. Four no, weeks. It, it is. Apparently, they didn't have enough money to pay everyone. I think the actresses and actors only got something like $400 each. Right. Um, and they allegedly paid the voiceover guy from the, the narrator. <laughs> yeah, the newsreader guy. Yeah, from yeah. the introduction, uh, Jim Larroquette, with weed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Bargain. Well, it depends on how much weed costs. Probably not a lot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah. So you didn't you didn't dig this film too much, right? Oh, it's not that I didn't like it. I mean, it was very slow, but it was interesting to see kind of where slasher started. Mm. I mean, a Psycho is really credited as the first slasher film, right? But this takes influence from that, mm -hmm, definitely. Um, but it's interesting to see kind of where it all began. Yeah. Um. It, it was good to see. It just doesn't really doesn't really rate as like a good movie to me sure but i do see how it's how it was good at the time and how it's yeah influential. Well, I, so, I watched it when i was young and it did like it, it was it was scary to me but then at the same time i was watching like dawn of the dead and right. and um and all those films and then like it wasn't until i discovered like evil dead and stuff that i kind of because i mean i'm more interested in that kind of film i think evil dead mm -hmm. kind of took it more into the kind of the comedy and extreme stuff that yeah. we're, we're more well, this one, interested in. I didn't feel like there was much suspense in this. Mm. Like, um, you know that Leatherface wants to kill them. Right. But they don't. So because it's only one at a time entering the house. Right. Like one goes in, he gets killed. Yeah, okay. And then no one else knows that that's even happened. So yeah. As soon as somebody like, encounters him, they are killed until Sally isn't. There's no, that's right. There's yeah. no drama to them because the next one that enters the house, it's kind of just repeated over and over. Right. So no one, no one knows that they should be scared. Yeah. There's a period at the end where she escapes briefly. Yeah. And that was, that gets suspended. That does, like, that does. But yeah. that's it. Like, sure. they pick off three or four people before mm -hmm. they get to her. Yeah. Right. Very quickly. Right. Yeah. And not even on screen. So, also, there's only one person that gets killed by a chainsaw. Yeah, I don't think it was even called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, it was initially. called Leatherface, yeah. and then it was changed to Head Cheese. Yeah, that's right, Head Cheese. Um, which is, if you watch the film, you'll find out what that is. It's like it's like a goo made of the the head of a <laughs> a cow that they kind of boil and yeah. turn into a. Yeah, they use all of the bits of the cow. Well, the only time you even see the chainsaw cut somebody is when Leatherface hits himself with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, otherwise it's kind of uh, shot from behind when yep. he kills Franklin, and uh, and otherwise you just don't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much gore in this at all. No, no. no I think the mostly the blood is that scene where they cut her finger. Yep. Yeah. So that's the dinner scene that we're referring to. That's kind of like the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. That is also where you meet the rest of Leatherface's family, uh -huh. find out he has a family, and that they're all crazy. Yeah, man, it's, it's two of the people that you've already met and probably suspected were <laughs> in on something, and, and then Grandpa. Grandpa is amazing. So that guy was actually 20 years younger than the guy who played Leatherface's father. 
but they put all the old age makeup on. Right. And that old age makeup. Terrible makeup. It is terrible. Yeah. It's really bad. It's like worse than the the human. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't read, especially now, it doesn't read as old man makeup. It reads as like, there's something wrong with him. Like, I thought he was dead. I thought it was a corpse because it's black and white too, this film. So up until he starts. (laughs) I guess I just saw it in black and white. (laughs) It's definitely not black and white. Well, that's weird. What's wrong with my eyes? I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, maybe it's just muted colors. It is because it's shot on like 16 mil. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> we only watched this a couple of days ago. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's in color. That's it's weird. In color. <laughs> I'm pretty sick, guys. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take Jenna to the hospital. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you in a month. Well, anyway. It's very, it's muted colors. Yeah. So he looked like a corpse mm. in the couple of scenes you saw him in because he yeah. was like stuck up in the attic once. Yeah. And until he actually moves and think he was alive. Yeah. The first scene where you see him, he's with uh, at, at least one other corpse who I assume is the grandma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and potentially there are other corpses around the house. So yeah, it is, it does read as, right. as like a corpse. And then even when he's moving, it's like, oh, what is he? Like as a weird creature or something. Because yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's bad makeup. It's, it's very bad. Well, all of his scenes were actually filmed in one long shot. Right. Like in one. In sequence. In sequence. Yeah. In over a 36 hour period. So it took five hours to apply the makeup. And this is in the middle of a hundred degree heat wave in Texas. Right. Um, I'll be honest. They spent too long on the makeup. It could have just slapped it on there. I know. Well, they spent five hours on it. And he so said. Bad. And uh, John Dugan, who played the grandfather, said, I am not going through that again. Mm. Any scene that you want me in, you film it right now <laughs> because I'm not reapplying this. So they spent another 31 hours filming mm. the the dinner scene. Yeah, wow. And at that point, because of the low budget, Leatherface only had one outfit right. to shoot the whole thing in that he'd been wearing the whole time. And they couldn't wash it because of the bloodstains. Right. So he smelled awful. I'll bet. And that room... Has rotting meat and dead oh, yeah. animals everywhere, and those were real. Yeah, and in a hundred degrees with no air conditioning and a lot of people, it smelled awful in that movie. Yeah, Edwin Neal, the the crazy guy, the mm-hmm. um, hitchhiker, he actually said that filming that scene was the worst time of my life, mm. and I had been in Vietnam with people <laughs> trying to kill me. So I guess that shows how bad it was. Mm. He said if he ran into Tobe Hooper again, he would kill him. <laughs> Well, I've done, uh, I did a zombie movie and we had some brains, they were real brains. Uh, yeah, apparently really. you're not supposed to do that, but, but you know, we had them and they, uh, they did not smell great after, after, you know, a, a little while. So right. I can imagine this was, real, I, again, real not, cow brains, right? Sheep's brain. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not human. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yeah. No, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, they, uh, they didn't smell great. Uh, <laughs> even, even like refrigerated, they didn't smell great. So I'm sure, you know. That uh, the smell of rotting meat was, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that was a fun shoot. Well, I have one last piece of trivia mm. before um, we get into Ed Gein. Yeah. And that is that the as of like April of this year, uh, the Last Chance gas station from mm-hmm. this film has been bought by somebody and is being turned into a resort, like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre resort. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is called, uh, we slaughter barbecue, mm-hmm. which is the sign that was out front of the gas station in the film. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I and, do too. Uh, and I think we need to go to Texas. Well, 
maybe on our way through. Is it actually in Texas? It is actually in Texas. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the one thing I didn't check. (laughs) It is. And the farmhouse, Mm -hmm. uh, the location has been moved. That's a bed and breakfast, right? But it has been turned into a bed and breakfast cafe. So, all right, well, that's uh, that's going on the road trip. Yeah. Along with uh, Ed Gein's house. And we're in Wisconsin. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can tell you that Ed Gein's house does not exist anymore. Oh, man. Um, Let me, let's go into some stuff about Ed Gein and yeah, I will tell right. you why it doesn't exist anymore. Okay. So Ed Gein, in case you haven't heard of him and you probably, you probably heard of him, you maybe just don't know all the details. And even if you haven't heard his name, you probably, you know, you probably know him. You've encountered him in pop culture in some form. There are songs right. about him and there are films and episodes of TV shows and, and is, yeah. When, once we tell you what he did, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll I'm sure you'll think of something that yep. was was probably based on it. So he was um, he's from Wisconsin. Yep, from Plainfield, uh, Plain, Wisconsin. Plainfield, Wisconsin. Uh, he was the son of uh, Augusta and George Gein. That's right. Uh, who were well? Augusta was a religious fanatic. She was. She was a Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Um, she homeschooled both of her sons, Henry and uh, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Henry is the older one by a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was. A bit fanatic. Yeah. She was a very she, um, large uh, German mm-hmm. uh, woman who was the head of the house. She was because George was an alcoholic. Right. Um, he was kind of a, a no good. Yeah. He was kind of like a lazy, didn't really want to, you know, do anything except drink. And I mean, they didn't even have TV back then. So I don't, I guess he just sat and drank. That's right. Um, all of the farm work kind of fell to her. The farm was actually in her name. So at this time, this is like in the 30s and 40s. Mm. Uh, that's That was a pretty big deal yeah. for her to be the proprietor. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, actually. Because, yeah, I mean, this is well before, you know, like the- Feminism. The, <laughs> exactly. Before yeah. we uh, we equaled all that stuff out. That's right. So, um, so he kind of sat at home and drank and she raised the kids. Uh, and she took care of the farm. She kept a very, very clean house. Mm-hmm. Um she wouldn't let the kids have any friends. Right. Um, when Ed first went to school, he he met a friend. He came home talking about her, and she said, "You will not speak to him again." Mm-hmm. She told the kids that women were evil; they were all harlots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every friend that they made, she had heard some story about Their the kids' parents or yeah. mothers in particular that meant that the kids were not to hang out with them because they were a bad influence. That's right. Every single person. <laughs> That's right. She eventually homeschooled both children mm-hmm. and taught them to help out on the farm, but mostly read them scripture. Right. From the Old <laughs> Testament. Yeah, she was uh she was an old Old Testament kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Like uh Yeah, and uh and as befitting that, she uh, obviously the her and George only made love the two times. That's right. <laughs> and and uh, only when she wanted a son. That's right. Otherwise or a child. they were not gonna engage in such a filthy, disgusting act. Right, and only like the other marriage. women in town would be. That's right. She she moved to Plainfield because she thought she could get away from right. all of the. Um, I believe they actually moved twice. Right, once they moved, and then they moved again to get further away. Yeah, yeah. She wanted to live kind of an isolated lifestyle so that mm. she and her children wouldn't not, wouldn't have to encounter women at all because right. every one of them was well. And she also was a strumpet. I think she she realized well realized she felt that she had sort of failed a bit in the beginning with, with henry. henry and so when eddie was born she was like he's the golden child right. he's gonna be the righteous you know like 
the perfect little boy. That's right. And I think that's why Henry turned out a little bit more well-adjusted yeah. than Eddie did. Yeah, it seems that way. He, he definitely seemed to question the authority a little more than Eddie yeah. did. So in 1940, George, the father, died of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So Augusta had the two boys. It actually helped them out a little bit because they didn't have to take care of him. Do- right. Because, again, he just didn't do anything. That's right. So they were doing his work on the farm, and then we're also having to come home and and take care of him. Yeah, because he became ill, yeah. So it kind of strengthened the relationship between Eddie and Augusta. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. (laughs) Well, for the rest of the world, yes. (laughs) Um, And Henry kind of pulled away from that, realizing that Augusta may not be as infallible as Eddie thought. Right. Um, And he actually told Ed that, that he, he kind of remarked about how they had a strange relationship, Ed and Augusta. Yeah, he said maybe they shouldn't be as kind of close as they are. That's right. Mm, like, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's unclear whether he felt that it was inappropriate or anything like that. Probably he did, because it does seem like it was a little bit. Well, I think at that time they were, they were in their 20s or, or 30s by that point. Right. And it was, it had gotten a little strange. Henry had already been married and divorced. Mm-hmm. Eddie had never, had never spoken really to a woman well, he wasn't allowed that's right mm. so he didn't have any friends he just stayed on the farm and he just had an unhealthy obsession with his mother right yeah he, he was he loved her like he did. but he in a did, in a yes as I'm, I'm saying he loved her a little too much yeah well he thought she was the most righteous woman he had ever met yeah she or, was that, that could ever be. she was perfect and infallible and mm-hmm. he never he, did, he never really considered that she could be wrong right so after the remark that Henry made about the relationship um, the two were putting out a fire on the farm. Mm-hmm. I think they were backburning or something. Or it, it's a bit it's, unclear. It gets the fire gets out of control. They yeah. were putting it out, and Eddie allegedly lost Henry mm-hmm. uh, when he ran around to, you know, a different part of the fire. Yeah, when he came back. He couldn't find Henry. He went to the police and asked for their assistance mm-hmm. and led them right to Henry's corpse, <laughs> which was face down and had no fire damage and some bruising on its he- on the head. <laughs> right, and no one ever questioned that, and they said that he died mm. in the fire. Well, apparently they did. They 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 commented on the fact that it was odd that he couldn't couldn't find the body. he couldn't find him, but yeah. then led them straight to the body. And Eddie said, "Hmm, yeah, that is funny." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it seems like it's a common theme throughout the whole Ed Gein story that he was very open with everything yeah. he did, but people thought he was such a strange guy yeah. that nobody sounds, actually believed him. He sounds kind of goofy and like, it seems like he, like he might have made jokes kind of, you know, confessing almost to certain things, but people were like, huh, uh, Ed. Yep. Like, yeah, he was a very, very quiet guy. He wasn't very well respected at all by any of his peers, mm-hmm. um, but he did help out a lot. So he is the person that everyone went to. He was, he was a handyman. Mm-hmm. So all of his neighbors, anytime they needed help with something, they would go to him. Right. But then they would kind of make fun of him a little bit while doing it or not pay him. Yes. Because one of the things about- He would always Ed, help out. One of the things about Ed Gein is that he was effeminate. Yes. Because, uh, whether it was because of his mother's influence or, or whatever, he was always very, uh, I guess, interested in, mm-hmm. in what it would be like to be a girl. Uh, and his behavior was, um, especially considered by people in that area, to be very effeminate. And uh, they made fun of him because he didn't enjoy certain things that 
men were supposed to enjoy, like hunting and... Right. He actually said he fainted at the sight of blood. Right. So he would never shoot a deer. It was, I mean, this is a hunting town. Right. Yeah. You don't not hunt. So he would, he would hunt small animals, Mm. but he said he couldn't, he couldn't stand the sight of blood and he would kind of go into a daze when he saw it. Yeah. Uh, So he would never hunt deer. Yeah. And they used used to make fun of him for all of that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and it, it was, was very common to uh, when the men would all go out and work the field, like in the uh, community, they would all go out and and do something together to to work in the community, mm-hmm. and they would go home to the wife of whoever's house they were working, right? Um, and she would cook them all a big dinner, right? And after dinner, the men would all go outside and have a nice cold beer, mm-hmm. and the women would clean up. Mm-hmm. But Ed would stay in the house and just sit at the table and stare at the woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not in a creepy way, but they would. Right. A little, I mean, it's a little, a little creepy. creepy. Yes, but, it is. But, not it is. Like, but it was. Yeah, it was not like. It, a, wasn't, it wasn't really in a sexual way at all. Right, right. But. I think just interest. It, yeah. Probably. Yeah. And that was, that was always noted. Right. By the men in town. Yeah. People knew him as the guy that stares at the women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just a little bit weird. Yeah. Like everybody. Well, nobody really liked him. Nobody was friends with him. He had a couple of friends, mm. uh, but nobody very, very close. They used to play a lot of pranks on him. Like, uh, there's a couple of stories in the book where they talk about how they uh, they give him a beer that was like had been half drunk, and then half of it was brandy. Yeah, and then he he wouldn't even notice. He would mm-hmm. just drink it and then become very drunk, mm-hmm. and then they would just laugh at him. And then there was another occasion where they put a uh, a little you know like a, a firecracker or something in his in the engine of his car, and then. They all laughed at him when he dived out, you know, when it when it blew up and all the smoke was coming out from under the bar. They weren't very nice to it's him. It's a little bit sad. Like, yeah. I do I do feel for him a little bit. He must have been very ostracized. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's a horrible upbringing. Right. So, yeah, you've got that at home, uh, that, that kind of weird situation where your parents are, I mean, clearly they weren't getting along and she was crazy and- Right. He was a drunk and then- But to him, she wasn't crazy. Oh, no. I, I, yeah, exactly. That's his, his, his normal is that. So, yeah. Well, after Henry died, kind of, he got his wish to just be alone with Gusa mm-hmm. <laughs> until she suffered a stroke mm-hmm. uh, shortly following the death of his brother. Right. And he became her primary caretaker mm-hmm. and he, he started taking care of the farm. Mm-hmm. We should clarify that it's not- certain that he killed henry where we're kind of implying it and it is implied it, and it's yeah. kind of assumed that probably he did but it's not, it was never brought up yeah in and any i don't child. i don't think his mother thought that he did it right I th- is, is, that's the main point i want to clarify in case people are wondering like wasn't she mad right. i don't think she considered that that might i have, think it was just it was considered an accident yeah, in hindsight he probably did right but at the time people didn't really think he did that's right um so in 1945, after she had had her first stroke, mm-hmm. uh, there was an incident where the two of them, Eddie and Augusta, uh, visited a neighbor, mm-hmm. and they saw a man beating mm-hmm. a puppy to death. Yeah. And out of the house, uh, a woman ran screaming, mm-hmm. asking him to stop, but he didn't, and he killed the puppy. Yeah. And Augusta blamed her. Yeah. And thought that she was a whore and. They weren't married, and what was she doing in his house? Yes, yeah, and she strange. wasn't upset at all about the the puppy, right? Yeah, or yeah. the man beating the puppy. She was disturbed by the incident, but not for the reason you would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it caused her to have her second stroke, right? Which killed her. And Ed was inconsolable, 
That's right. He was very, very distraught. To his neighbors, he seemed okay. Mm. But from that point on, he was alone in life. Yeah, and he was he was not okay. <laughs> no. And I think this kind of kickstarted. He was diagnosed later on with schizophrenia, and I right. think this kind of kickstarted it. Oh yeah, because he the the the, the things that he describes having occurred uh, after that. I mean, clearly. Clearly, he was he was experiencing something, right? But he started hearing her voice mm-hmm. um, when she was falling asleep at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an incident where he saw the leaves all as faces, yep, laughing um, at him. And there was another incident where he the tops of the trees had all disappeared, and they were filled with vultures and blood. Yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, uh, the house that Augusta had kept perfectly spotless um, turned into just his trash everywhere. (laughs) He actually, what they found later on when they investigated his house was that her bedroom and her living space, like Mm -hmm. the living room of her house, he had locked off and sealed and had never entered again. Yeah. He only used the kitchen and his bedroom. That's right. And they were just trashed. Yeah. He just used to throw garbage on the floor when he was finished and there were dead rats and animals and grease and Kind of like a hoarder's house. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. He was um he was a very smart guy. I mean, he's he read a lot. He's he read a lot. He yeah. wasn't I mean, he didn't the have much most else clever <laughs> person, but he was a smart guy. Yeah. And he kind of spent his time helping people mm-hmm. in the in the community right. and also reading. And he became very very interested in crime comics mm-hmm. and also in uh, Nazi stories, particularly yeah the torture stories. Yeah, concentration camps and, mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we used to collect uh, these kind of, I guess, I guess they're like magazines, but yeah. they're, they're like like books uh, of kind of serials of uh, detective yeah. stories. and and But they're always very um, like gratuitous, like, uh, you know, like leery men chasing women mm-hmm. and, and, and tales of like headhunters in the, you know, South Seas and things like that. Very um, graphic kind of um tales of of weird horror horror stories in a way but see i mean looking back yeah i guess people putting all these things together could have noticed something but those are what i read too yeah yeah at the time he was just reading books and no one thought anything of it that's right of course yeah like i said everybody thought he was a weird guy but Mm -hmm. he was nice enough i think given a better circumstance in life he wouldn't have turned out like this like there's probably a million people out there in the world right now who could be potentially king. sorry that's terrifying but <laughs> i mean i think that's true that is what he claims actually um later on in life um mm. he spent a lot of time in a uh, institution a mental institution right um, of course <laughs> and he said that like he blamed it on his upbringing, yeah. not on his mother. Of course. <laughs> he blamed it on the fact that nobody, mm. none of his neighbors were good to him. Yeah. He, well, said, he, would, he would never really speak about his mother again. That's right. He, he would said, just cry. Yeah. As soon yeah. as the, the subject came up, he would just, he would just weep. He would, he would cry or he would say he felt sick. A lot of times during the questioning, um, he would, he would start to vomit or he would say he got a headache yeah. and he would have to be excused. Yeah. He just, um, this happened repeatedly during the questioning process but ultimately he said he blamed it on the fact that nobody treated him well and that location had like ruined it right had ruined his life yeah if right been if he else, and augusta had been given another situation they both would have been fine that's right <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. And really, I mean, we're getting a little bit ahead here, but once he, um, at the institution, mm. he made, he was made to do a couple of weeks of kind of a uh, soul searching, right. like where he would diagnose himself, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, leads from the psychologists. Yeah. Right. But he realized that this all, this whole thing stemmed back to the dog incident. Yeah. Yeah. So he realizes why, but not really why. But the same as Augusta, yeah. he blames the woman. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Her t- like her influence is, right. is complete. And, <laughs> and, and that realization is what kept him out of prison. Right. Because he could know. Oh, right. Because, because he they could realized, identify yeah, he what kn- the difference between right and wrong was, but he couldn't identify why. Yeah. Okay. So, so he's not cured. So he was not fit to stand trial. Yeah. And, no, well, fair and enough. And he was never sent to prison. He was actually only, he lived out his whole life into mm-hmm. um, mental facilities. Yeah, I don't, well, he wasn't rehabilitable, is that, that's right. if, that's a, if that's a word. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he was always, exactly. always going to feel that way. Yeah, there was a point where he almost was, mm. but um, a couple of his psychologists said that he wouldn't be able to cope. Kind of like uh, Brooks in Shawshank Redemption. Right. He wouldn't be able to cope with the outside world. Yeah, right. And that it would kind of bring back the schizophrenia yeah yeah i don't know how he could have he could have functioned um right. but i mean we'll, we'll get to to why yeah we have gotten <laughs> we've gotten a little so, bit ahead of ourselves but yeah because i mean as far as <laughs> the listeners know he hasn't done anything wrong yet right right so uh what's what's wrong with old eddie gain now well the first incident mm-hmm. uh in 1954 mary hogan uh, was a proprietor of a tavern, a local tavern, mm-hmm. where Ed would sometimes go to get a drink after a long day's work. Mm-hmm. He didn't do this often because Augusta had kind of cemented into him that alcohol was the devil's work. Yeah, he didn't drink much. Right. So this was only, this was very rare. And every time he would go, he would kind of sit and stare at her like the way mm-hmm. that he would stare at the other women. And he he wouldn't, th- this was the only place he would go to do this. And it mm-hmm. was not the closest place. So right. it was clear, it was definitely her that led him to go there. She kind of mirrored Augusta, right? Um, in that she she was a big, like a a hefty, <laughs> strong proprietor of yeah. her own business. I think she was German as well, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So she was very, very similar to Augusta, but um, there were rumors that she had ties to the mafia, right? Um, in Chicago, mm-hmm. and she was very crude. So she was. In a way, the exact opposite of Augusta. Yeah, right. In that she was like everything evil right. about her. Everything good that Augusta Augusta <laughs> represented, uh, yeah, was mirrored in Mary. Right. Yeah. So uh, later on, they kind of determined, because his second victim also kind of fit this, yeah. this model. Description, yeah. Um, his psychiatrist determined that there were two possibilities for why he chose these women. Mm-hmm. One is that kind of deep in his mind, he did realize that Augusta was not a good woman. Right. And he was trying to kill the part of her that was bad, that was yep. evil. Yeah, yeah. Also, he he had this belief where he could bring the dead back to life. It was yeah, right. kind of a weird Yeah, well he got that from from the books he read, I think. Right. Right. He right. he felt that like I mean we'll get to what he the specifics yep. <laughs> of what he was doing, but yeah, he thought he had a, some sort of power over them, right. and and his behavior when he was was doing these things was based on that stuff. Yeah, so by by killing Mary Hogan, it was kind of like bringing, bringing back Augusta. Augusta yeah, back. yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so he he went into the bar, the tavern, mm-hmm. um, or that she owned, uh, one night when it was closing. Mm-hmm. Um, he shot her, and he dragged her back to his truck, mm-hmm. where he brought her home, and then it was she was never found. Yeah. Like nobody, there were no suspects. Um, nobody ever knew who did it right. until way later on. Um, yeah, but they, I mean, it turns out the uh, the police did question him. Yes, and he jokingly said, "Oh no, she's at my place." Yeah. Oh, she's not missing. Yeah. She's back in my place. Yeah, cooking me dinner. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, they didn't think anything of it, but uh, the little joker. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Like nobody sus- suspected him because he was just such a a meek. Yeah, he was. He was just a guy. weird guy. He made stupid, weird jokes, and yeah. so they were just like, "Ah, huh. oh, Eddie." Yeah, there were actually some other um, things like that where uh, the one friend I mentioned he had was a local teenager. Mm. Um, I think his name is Bob Hill. Um, he came over and wants to play cards with his little brother, and his little brother asked to use the bathroom, got lost, mm. and he must have gotten into Eddie's bedroom or something. But he came back. When he and his brother left, he told him, I saw a bunch of shrunken heads in his room. <laughs> yeah. And then it became local legend that, that Eddie was keeping shrunken heads yeah, in his house. Yeah, he had human heads in his house. Yeah. yeah right. And at one point, <laughs> he, uh, he asked one of his neighbors, because like, they weren't really friendly with him, but he was kind of friendly with them. Like, yeah. They were cordial. He wasn't like a, a, an unfriendly guy. Right. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, he realized that he was in too big of a house and they had a small house. And he asked them if they wanted to come over and have a look at his house and trade. Mm. So they entertained the idea and they came over and quickly realized it was like a trash heap. Yeah. And it had totally fallen into disrepair and he'd stopped taking care of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the wife made a joke. Oh, Eddie, is this where you keep the shrunken heads? And he was quiet for a minute. And then he said, no, this is where I keep them. And pointed to his bedroom. And they they kind of laughed it <laughs> off in a like oh okay, and nothing ever came of it, right? Because that is a strange thing to do. I mean, unless I mean, clearly he is he's not he wasn't well. Um, but it is such a strange thing to do is if to you, admit if, it. You, if you well if you're doing that stuff right like he like we know now right that he had half the house boarded off and mm-hmm. and and you know he had he had body parts and things in the house mm-hmm. you know sorry spoilers but um <laughs> like why would he offer to swap houses with somebody yeah it's such i know a strange thing to do i know like, i know i mean well i guess that's the well, schizophrenia yeah he just hadn't he just didn't think of it right. i guess yeah right because a lot of the time i and that may have been before he killed mary hogan so everything he mm. had um he yeah. didn't think was wrong right he had just obtained things right yeah and he didn't he didn't think it was morally wrong, really, what he did. Right. Um, and with Mary and his second victim, Bernice, he thought mm. they had to die. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. After Mary went missing, uh, he then, he, he didn't kill again for quite a while. Uh, and no, he, he only ever killed, years. He only ever killed one other person. That's right. But what he did do uh, was collect bodies uh, from cemeteries. Mm-hmm. So- uh, another thing he would collect, along with the crime magazines, was the obituaries. Mm-hmm. And he would find the recently deceased, um, always fitting the same mold. Yeah. Um, middle-aged, or like, plus-sized women. Yeah. Um, and he would go out in the middle of the night, and he would dig up their graves. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't always 
go all the way through with it apparently either he although his recollections of it are sketchy like he said that he sometimes he would go out there and not do anything he would just yeah, go he would just there kind of visit it yeah other times he would uh he would stop partway through and and like kind of you know like, right like call it all off mm-hmm. and then other times he would uh he would dig them up and then and then, or maybe, just, and then maybe just bury them again straight away, and then yeah. yeah, all kind of variations on that theme. Like he didn't always steal the bodies, right? And um, they found evidence of this later. But he actually, a couple of times, would take the body home with him, mm. take the parts he wanted, and then think, "Well, I don't need these. I should return them." Yeah, he didn't want to be rude, right? I, <laughs> I should return them to. Yeah. the graves they were so in. So he would go dig it up again yeah. and bury them and then and put them back. And them all in apple pie order. Yeah, he always used to leave them in pristine condition. <laughs> that was a quote of his, apple pie order. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he claims to have made 40 visits to three separate graveyards mm-hmm. and removed nine bodies. Right. Uh, one of them, I think, like one graveyard he only visited once, removed right. one body from. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, he, he <laughs> was collecting Parts, body parts, body parts yeah. of, of middle-aged women who fit the same description as his mm-hmm. mother. So his second murder, uh, Bernice Warden, mm-hmm. was the proprietor of a hunting store mm-hmm. in town. On the first day of the hunting season, like we said, it's a very, very big hunting community. Yeah. Um, everybody does it. Even Bernice does it. But she had to stay in mind the store that day. Yeah. Um, most other stores in town were closed because because it was hunting season because it was the first day. So they've only got, I think, seven days to go out and hunt deer. And in that time, uh, there's an average of like 40,000 deer that get killed. Man. Yeah. You um, want to be a deer in Wisconsin. Right. So this this season, I believe, was cut short because of a storm and because of the Ed Gein situation. <laughs> because something else happened. Um, and 28,000 were killed that year. Yeah, well, far out. Still got through them. Right, yeah. Mm. So the night before hunting season was supposed to start, uh, Eddie visited Bernice's store and talked to Bernice's son and kind of scoped it out and made sure that he would be out hunting tomorrow. Like an expert covert operative. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The next day he returned. um, Well, he he said that he wanted to buy antifreeze. mm -hmm. He told the son he wanted some antifreeze, Mm -hmm. but then he said, I'll get it later. Yeah. So the next day he returned with his jug to buy the antifreeze. Mm -hmm. He purchased it. Mm-hmm. He was written a receipt for it by Bernice, mm-hmm. and he left the building. He then turned around and returned and told her that he was considering buying a new twenty-two rifle. Yep. And she said, well, you're welcome to, you know, pick up any of these that I Check have them out. here. So he, he, you know, took one off the shelf and was having a look at it, and she, not perceiving him as a threat, right. walked to the window to look out at you know, what was happening in the town because yep. it was so dead out there. And he shot her in the back mm-hmm. and then dragged her out to her truck, right? her store truck, drove that to somewhere, dropped it off, mm-hmm. switched to his own truck and took her home. Right. Shortly after that, her son returned to the hunting store, mm-hmm. found a puddle of blood on the floor, <laughs> yeah. her truck missing. Mm-hmm. And a receipt written out to Eddie Gein. Yeah, genius. <laughs> he was the deputy sheriff at the time. Yeah. So he called in the rest, the rest of the team, the other mm-hmm. sheriffs, and they went to find Eddie, who yeah. was having dinner next door with his neighbors <laughs> at the Hills house. Right. Uh, the kid who 
the shrunken head king. Yeah, yeah. Right? Who said, I wonder what, what all that hubbub is about in town. And Ed mm. said, oh, Bob, get in the car. I'll drive you there and yeah, we'll, let's we'll check find, it out. Let's we'll go see. find out. Yeah. <laughs> I've got no idea. And on their way there, the police stopped him and said, mm. Ed, we would like to talk to you. And he said, um, I was framed. And they were like, framed with what? And he said, Bernice's murder. And they were like, how do you know that happened? Genius. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, I mean, I heard that something happened at the store. Yeah. Fail. <laughs> so they brought him in for questioning. Uh, like kind of half of the sheriff, like uh, half of the team brought him in for questioning. Yep. The other half went to his home mm -hmm. uh, where all the doors were locked except for the summer kitchen. Where mm -hmm. upon entering, they found the decapitated, eviscerated body of Bernice Warden. Yeah, she'd been strung up kind of like. Dressed like a deer. Yeah, like, you know, well, I'm not quite the same, but if you, how they hang meat at a, an abattoir kind of mm -hmm. like you know we've imagine rocky you know practicing on on the <laughs> on the, the, on, the know, meat the, on the meat hook yeah yeah basically yeah yeah so that, that was a bit of a shock i'm it sure was a huge shock yeah, yeah because up until then he was never really a major suspect in any of the disappearances well, no, i mean they didn't really know they like didn't... nobody even knew that the greys were being robbed no. because they all looked pristine yeah like, they no, knew that was never a thing they until knew mary had gone missing and and actually the same year that Mary went missing, some other people went missing too. Mm -hmm. So they they just never really suspected anything. That's right. And he was only linked to Mary and Bernice. Right. Um, it's unknown whether he killed anyone else, mm -hmm. but it is suspected that it was only those two women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's fairly unclear on a lot of things. So he they found, when they found Bernice mm. uh, hanging from in the kitchen- yeah. Uh, they decided to investigate the rest of the house. Yeah. And found Mary Hogan's head in a bag. Mm -hmm. And that was the first lead <laughs> they had on her disappearance yeah. in three years. Um, it was kept like it, it had been oiled mm -hmm. um, and kept in very, very good condition. Yeah. And I wonder how he, I mean, he must have read how to do all That's, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, I think they found some books on embalming in his house. Yeah. Right. Mm. There you go. Uh, they also found uh -huh. <laughs> um, some skullcap bowls. He, mm -hmm. This stuff is amazing. And honestly, like people could probably sell, not real, but, but these things, these like kinds of things on like the, Etsy or something. Yeah, like, the things he made. The things he made are really yeah, incredible. For, quite creative. Yeah. I, know, I, I know this is going to sound strange and we're being a bit strange about it, but it is like, it's quite interesting to, to the, like that he came up with this stuff yeah. so some things were just used for decoration they found a couple of skulls on his bedposts mm -hmm. they found some skulls in his kitchen used as bowls or mugs so um, weird. they found a chair that was made out of human flesh mm -hmm. uh they found a belt that was made out of women's nipples yeah um yeah. a necklace made out of tongues mm -hmm. uh they found a box of nine vulvas wow yeah yeah, a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of human body suits. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, this is something you've potentially seen in in a film or or on a show or whatever. But he and, and if you've seen Signs of the Lambs, you'll yep, be Buffalo familiar. Bill. You'll be familiar with this. He had made himself a woman suit mm -hmm. out of real women. He had a lot of masks uh, that he had yeah. made from women's yeah, faces. Yeah, like seven, or seven of them or something, right? Yep. Some of them were for wearing. Some of them were for decoration. <laughs> yep. And he was so matter-of-fact about it, too. So they asked oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah. They asked him, 
how did you wear the masks? And he said, well, with a string. Yeah. Like, duh. Yeah. Like, of course. Um, and they, they asked him a couple of questions like, did you wear the suits? And he was like, well, yes, I did. And mm -hmm. did, did you ever, mm -hmm. what was his response to this? Did you there ever was, put there was the one, vulva over your penis? Yeah. And pretend that you had, you know, a vagina. Yeah. Uh, or did you ever put them, did you, sorry, listeners, yeah. did you ever put the, uh, the, the vulvas in your pants? Right. And pretend that you were a woman. And, and he said something like, I uh, think that may be I the think, case. Yeah, I think that might be true. And then it was like, oh, yeah, did you ever... Did you ever wear the masks? Oh, that I did. Th that I definitely did, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, he didn't really yeah. remember. He actually said that he didn't remember... He claims that the gun that killed Bernice went off accidentally. Oh. Um, he had loaded it from a twenty-two round that he had kept in his pocket. Yeah, right. He didn't get the ammo from her. He got it he from He said that pocket. he had put it in the rifle... Just to make sure that it fit. Right. That that gun would accept that. And that hit it accidentally gone off. And then he went into a daze with the blood. Mm. Which is what he's claimed all along. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, the, he, well, he claims like the whole time, like even when he was digging up the corpses and stuff, he doesn't really remember because this daze business right. is how he, how he operated always. And if he woke up from the daze, like if he regained kind of normal cognition. Mm-hmm he would stop generally and and abort what he was doing like so i don't know it's interesting and it it, well, it raises a question like was he lying about anything like, was he lying or i mean that yeah is he lying about the gun because he didn't seem to lie about other stuff maybe he was lying about other stuff as well but he was i mean by several different psychiatrists uh diagnosed with schizophrenia with like a fractured yeah so he, he may have just been delusional right yeah and he kind of separated things in his mind. Like every part of Augusta that was bad was blocked off. and Yeah, it didn't exist sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is possible, I guess. Maybe he has made a few false statements about it. Right, but he I, probably I, believes them. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, he, he, he's no longer with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he lived out his days uh, in an institution. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, several institutions. Yeah, until he died of complications from cancer yeah. at 77 years old in 1984. Yeah. But uh, let me tell you about the story of why his house doesn't exist anymore. Oh, yeah, please. I mean, I, I had considered maybe it was just due to the state of it. No, actually. Um, when, he, uh, when he was taken away, mm -hmm. uh, initially he was unfit to stand trial. He went into the home until I think it was a... Over 10 years before. Oh, he lived there. Oh, into a home. Into a home. I thought you meant into, the no, home. No, no. I was like, what the <laughs> into fuck? A, they let him out? Into a mental facility. <laughs> uh, he was kept there until right. it was deemed that he was fit to stand trial 10 years later. I see. Okay. Um, but during that time, they, uh, they auctioned off all of his assets. I think it was three yeah. years, almost to the day uh, of the murder of Bernice. Right. That um, they decided to have an auction. Mm -hmm. And all proceeds would go to his legal fees mm -hmm. um, because a couple of people whose graves he had dug up, their uh, their husbands or their families were suing him. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, so proceeds would go to that. Yeah. Some would go to the state for his care. Mm -hmm. And a little amount, $300, would be kept by the state for his eventual burial. Oh, uh, okay. Right. So they decided to auction off his assets, and they set the date for a Sunday, mm -hmm. March 30th, I believe it was, uh, which 
the town was not happy about because it was, it was one, a Sunday, the Lord's day. Right. Um, two, it was Palm Sunday. Right. So they felt that this was like totally, totally not inappropriate. Inappropriate. Yeah. Right. It was, it was not okay. Um, and they protested. Yeah. And, uh, the judge said, look, I see where you're coming from, Mm -hmm. but at this point, uh, there's nothing we can do. Right. Because we've already, like, we've mm-hmm. we told the whole state of Wisconsin. <laughs> I think I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. So a week before the date um, of the auction yeah. was an inspection for the house. Mm-hmm. And the town was also upset about this because this is a very small town. Yeah. And it drew a lot of attention to them. And they weren't really happy with that. They just wanted to kind of go on living lives mm-hmm. um well this is what they're famous for really yeah and, and, and a lot I, of people kind of came out and said oh i knew ed oh you're dating or we were best friends and uh, yeah. just made up a bunch of crazy stories but i don't think most of the people there like want to be associated with this right so they had an inspection of the house uh just for anyone who wanted to come right. and see if they wanted to buy it at the auction the, right. the week following um that inspection was set to be 50 cents entry Right. And the town was in uproar because they felt like that was charging admission to the murder house. Yeah, right. Like it had become like a tourist attraction, like a museum. Mm -hmm. So the judge said, look, all right, we'll waive the 50 cent fee. It was really only to keep just interested parties. Yeah, right. Give all the looky-loos away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's fine. Well, we don't have the fee, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing we can do. We're going to keep that inspection date. We're going to keep the auction date. Right. So the night before the auction. Mm Mm-hmm. At about 3 or 4 a.m., uh-huh. the town saw some fire. Yeah, I thought that's where you were going with that. Yep. <laughs> it is unknown who set the fire. Right. But the house... Okay, so it's gone. The house was gone. Burnt down. Um, it was bought out by a uh, local real estate guy who I think was actually the one of the sheriffs. Right. Uh, like, very close to this case. Mm-hmm. Um, totally got rid of the like what was left of the house mm-hmm. and built a forest. Oh, right. Planted like 60,000 trees. Oh, so it's just a forest now where it was. Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Huh. Um, there are some, I think, like the outlying buildings on yeah. the property, but that's all. Yeah, we had a barn and some other yeah. stuff, I think, yeah. So they have found since, like, dogs, hunting dogs going through the area have found little, like, dug up bones, um, which they have, they did a mass burial for everything that they found yeah. on his property um, on hallowed ground. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's a very interesting story, but. Yeah, right. I, well, I didn't know about that. Him. I didn't know about the, the house burning down. Uh, what they did auction off, though, was his truck, the one that he used oh, yeah. to bring Bernice Warden home. Yeah. Um, that was sold to the Koch brothers or Cook brothers. Nobody mm. knew who they were, what their name was, until it turned out they were working for a sideshow <laughs> um, and had bought them for the the man who ran that right so it was showed it was shown in a bunch of county fairs in the area right uh, it was put up in a tent with some wax figurines inside of no, it but of they love that Bernice. oh yeah far out it only made it to a couple of fairs before it was shut down and he was kind of kicked out of wisconsin wow and had to bring it oh elsewhere. i'm sure i'm sure he did very well elsewhere oh, he, <laughs> did, he did very well in wisconsin until yeah, right. it was shut down mm. i i don't know what has happened to that truck since right Interesting. All right. Well, the town only found out because it it was like a rundown truck, and it the auction was so high 
that they thought there was something, something suspicious, suspicious about, about it. Something suspicious about it, right. Well, that's the story of Ed Gein. Um, he, uh, little details from his story obviously crop up in, in pop culture all the time. Yep. Um, one of the details apparently in Texas Chainsaw Massacre with uh, the leather face puts, applies lipstick mm-hmm. to his, mm-hmm. his woman mask. Yep. Um, that's, that's from Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. That's something that he did, apparently. Um, you know, uh, there's a in, in House of a Thousand Corpses, somebody wears the skin of somebody else. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, he, he would dance. Yeah, he would wear the, well, the woman's suit that he created and dance in front of his house in the moonlight. Right. And there is a, uh, there's a Mudvayne song about that. Is uh, there? Yeah, the name of it escapes me, but there's a Mudvayne song about Ed Gein. Uh, ah. Yeah. And, right. And he talks about the specifics, of particularly, particularly him dancing, yeah, in the, in the, in the skin. Right. So, yeah. I mean- because that also, I don't, I don't know. We talked about how he was very effeminate, but yeah. he had always wanted to be a woman. Yeah. So I mean, and that wasn't as accepted back in the sixties and seventies. No, not at all. Or no. whatever fifties and sixties. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, he was born even before that. Yeah. Like he, as a child, he was like that. So. Yeah. So I mean, and definitely Augusta would not have been. Oh no! no accepting no. of of anything like that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think he definitely repressed something there. And I also want to be clear that although he is considered a necrophiliac, this none of this was ever sexual. Well, not not overtly. Like in the, I think, isn't it like they did ask him, did he ever have sex with any of the bodies that he right. dug up? And he said no. They smelled terrible. Yeah, like that was the reason he didn't. But I think his relationship with the. Gusta and all of the, and a lot of the reasons for this yes. is probably like repressed repressed sexual urges. Right. He, he probably didn't even realize that's what he was doing. That's right. Yeah, like I'm not saying he necessarily actually had you know what we would consider like sexy times with any of these <laughs> corpses or anything. No, I don't think he did. He was no, actually but, adamant about the fact that he didn't. Yeah, no, I'm sure. But, but I think a lot of his attitudes about women in general were came from that kind of place, right? With mm-hmm. that, that she had kind of. He had a lot of negative feelings associated with that stuff, right. and that's why he did some of this stuff. I, I would, I mean, you know, what? I'm not a psychologist, but <laughs> <laughs> it seems kind of obvious to me. That, Listeners, uh, if you have an Augusta in your life, please get help. Yeah, yeah. Not all women are whores. <laughs> Hashtag not all women. Yeah, contrary to what Dan would have us believe. <laughs> So I think this was kind of a long episode, which is good because we made you wait a month for it. Yeah. And uh, um, ideally, we'd, uh, we'd like to keep doing them like this. So if you enjoyed this episode, please yep. let us know. Yeah. Please write in. Yeah. Uh, Necronominum at multiplenergasm.com or hit us up on social media. And go listen to Multiple Nerdgasm. Yep. Uh, it's on every week. So you won't have to wait as long for that. <laughs> That's right. We talk crap every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to support us uh, in a more tangible way you can head over to itunes and give us a five-star review or if you feel like it you can head over to patreon.com slash multiple nerdgasm and donate a bit of money every episode Mm. um, which we use to pay for the website and the hosting and uh, we've bought some equipment we recently upgraded some of the equipment we use to interview people at events yep Uh, so all of the patreon money goes directly back into the shows uh, and improves the quality of them that's how we've got these microphones we're using now and yeah, so if you enjoy what we do, that's a really good way to help us out. And the listener question that we will leave you with mm-hmm. is, how did you first hear about Ed Gein? 
now that you know who he is. Yeah. What was the first film influenced by him? Yeah. Or pop culture reference or anything influenced by him that you knew about? Yeah. What popped into your mind when we were telling you about the story of Ed Gein? Because probably something, (laughs) some aspect of it. So, thank you for listening to my terrible voice this episode. It's not so bad. And we'll see you in another month. <laughs>